0: I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pada on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Federico Castelluccio. Federico played Furio on the show. Federico shared his soprano story, his life as an artist and collector, and much more. Furio was such a huge character on the show, and it was great to hear Federico share his experiences breathing life and energy into the role for over three seasons. One last thing. My dear friend and fellow host on the show, Naya, just dropped new music this week. Be sure to check it out wherever you get music. The song is called Face, and it's confident, bold, and beautiful. Really looking forward to what else she's got coming up. So check it out. Okay, that's it. Here it is, my conversation with Federico Castelluccio. Federico, thanks for doing the podcast.
1: It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, really.
0: Before we jump into Soprano's specific stuff, tell listeners a little bit about your biographical history.
1: I came to this uh, to this country in 1968. I was like three and a half years old and uh, moved from Naples, Italy, to Paterson, New Jersey, uh, and later on. <laughs> this this will be sort of uh, an important factor in me getting the role of Furio, Furio Junta. And so I came to this country in 1968, Patterson, New Jersey, um, you know, went to the Catholic Grammar School, and uh, then uh, from high school, I won a full scholarship to the School of Visual Arts for, for painting. And that's what I studied. I I, I dove in headfirst. I always, I always had kind of acting in the back of my mind since I was a kid. Uh, but there were no outlets in Patterson at the time. There were, you know, I was looking for, uh, you, you know, I thought that my high school would have like a theater program, and at the time they didn't. So, I all, all of my focus was on painting, drawing, and painting. Mm. And that's, you know, and that was that was in high school, and that's how I I applied for this uh, scholarship program based on my uh, my portfolio at the time of of, of art of work work that I've done. And uh, a hands-on exam, and I won out of I don't know how many people, in, in, um I think there were only a handful of uh, scholarships that were given out that year. And they, that was that was like a, a scholarship program program that was not really that wasn't continued. It was, it was it was sporadic. Every once in a while, they did it. and And then my last year there is when I audited a class, a theater class, and. That's when I said, you know, I really feel like I have something to offer. And it was right out of, like, that was in 1986. 86, I graduated from School of Visual Arts in New York City. And then I, I decided, you know, I was working. I was, I was already working professionally as an illustrator. I was illustrating book covers and editorial things. And, you know, I was, I was making money, good money at the time. And so I was able to allocate some time to, to study acting. So I I sought out, like, really great classes in New York City. I didn't want to get into a formal, like, you know, Juilliard or anything like that. I just had come out of a formal situation with, you know, with going to to, uh, the School of Visual Arts, you know, with uh, humanities classes and everything, history classes, art history. So I wanted to go – I just wanted to focus on the craft with really good teachers. So I sought out uh, some really wonderful teachers and, and coaches, and that's that's basically how I got started.
0: You paint, you said, right? Do you still paint today?
1: I'm a painter. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. It's, it's part of my life that will always be with me. I, I came into this world. I, I strongly believe, and I'm not being pompous or anything. I I just really feel that it was this. This is who who I really am. I'm I'm a, I'm a visual artist. I'm a painter.
0: And if you had to put your painterly aesthetic into a bucket like do you do portraiture do you do landscape do you like what kinds of things do you paint
1: well you know since i studied 17th century baroque painting and and uh, renaissance art um in art history uh it it sort of influenced me and, and my art and so it i would classify it as contemporary realism okay um and so yeah i've done a lot of portraits over the years but really what I've been focusing on because of my time factor is still life and creating narratives through still life. It's they're super realistic, you know, uh, and I, what I do is I set up a still life. I light it almost like a sort of like a, you know what black box theater is? Yeah. Where, you know, you just have a black, black background and, and you create you create the play and then I'm creating the scene of whatever I, my idea is.
2: Hmm. And I
1: light it and it gives me all the correct, correct shadows and then i just go to town painting and uh and so yeah i've been selling my work for something like 30 years through galleries awesome. and, and privately
0: so cool that and you And i'm s- collected
1: i'm collected in uh, private and public collections as well Yep. museums
0: Very cool it's so interesting that you mentioned lighting um one of the things that we geek out on on this podcast about the show is the framing and the lighting the way they light the characters the way they light the scenes and in many instances the scenes themselves look like paintings so kind of is a is an interest of mine as well
1: it's very film-like it was it was actually when i started first seeing the sopranos like i was i was hooked like from from day one and i was i had actually auditioned for another uh character I auditioned for Johnny Sack. What, what happened was I, I I found the breakdown through uh, a girl I was dating at the time, uh, Stephanie Norwood. She she called me up and said, listen, this, so, you know, when you, when you come into the city, I want to show you something. The backstage paper, which is an industry paper that shows like what shows are are, are going on and what, what they're casting and stuff like that. Uh, so she said, there's something interesting I want to show you. So I, she shows me the paper <laughs> and it says, you know uh, HBO series, The Sopranos. I'm like, and I, like, like a lot of people, I thought it was something about singing. You know, I, yeah. I said, no, this is this is not going to work for me. I, you know, I don't sing. She goes, no, no, it's it's not about that. Why don't you just read this? And I said, oh shit, this is about the New Jersey mob. And I'm like, I grew up on 21st Avenue in Patterson, and let me tell you, that place was mobbed up like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there were raids every every so often that that happened in the social clubs that were right across the street from me. So I said, "Wow, man! You know, I I grew up like observing these characters, and you know, like you know, I knew a lot about it because of being around and growing up around it. And you know, as as a visual artist, you and someone who early on I, I I would mimic things, you know what I mean? Mimic characters, and 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 so like a lot of these characters kind of stayed with me. So when I read this, I said, "Wow, they they have oh, Vinny Pastore's in this. Wow, this is great. I know Vinny. and then Michael Imperioli. I I used to I knew Michael through the theater circuit circuit, and you know I was doing a lot of theater at the time. And then I saw James Gandolfini, and I said, a lot of people didn't know who James Gandolfini was at the time. I mean, they, you know they I they didn't even know his name. I mean, I, I barely knew his name, but I had seen his name in some credits." going to remember it, but then it made sense when I saw it, it you know, in the breakdowns and um, in the backstage paper. So I said to uh, to Stephanie, I go, Stephanie, said, this actor right here is is amazing. I mean, they got this guy and I used to see him like in, in you know, uh, in supporting roles. I saw him like in, in small, like theater uh, situations. Right. Then I, I also saw him in, um, in A Streetcar Named Desire. Mm hmm. And another friend of mine was in it, uh, Aida Turturro was in that as well. It was with uh Alec Baldwin. And so uh I'm losing my train of thought now, I'm going all over the place. I <laughs> I, I kinda jump around so a little bit. You're oh, a, oh yeah. About yeah, go ahead.
0: Your girlfriend found a casting call and that's how this started. That's kind of your Sopranos origin story, am I understanding correctly?
1: That is. Yeah, okay. that's that's exactly right. And you she go into
0: it? she is the one You go in to read for Johnny Sack.
1: Well, here's the thing. Okay. Right after that, as soon as I read the, the breakdown, I'm like, wow, this is something I feel like I have something to offer. You know, I mean, this is, it's, it's about the Jersey mob. It's I, I'm an actor from, you know, from Patterson. I'm Italian. You know, all of this stuff went through my head and I immediately called my agent, Bob Barry from Barry Half Brown, BHB. So I said, Bob, I said, what's going on? I said, there's this thing I, on the breakdown. He goes, yeah, I heard about it. it it's called the Sopranos. Uh, You know, I was, I was, uh, um, you know, I, I just submitted you for this, uh, just this week. I said, Oh, okay, great. I said, um, just let me know what, what, what happens. Okay. So uh, maybe about a week or two later, I get a call from him to audition for Johnny Sacks. So he he faxes me at the time, the, uh, the breakdowns uh, on this character and I read it and I call him back and I said, I said, Bob, I said, I'm not right for this. He goes. He goes. Well, I sent you a picture. I said this is this is a John Gotti type. I had I had long hair at the time, and you know I was ready to cut it for anything, any good role. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I said. Uh, I said. He goes. He goes. Just go in and uh, and just you know see what see what I mean. They 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 saw your picture. They want to see you. So I went in there. I did a. I thought I did a really great audition, but there was always that thing in the back of my mind that I wasn't right for it. And so got a call back, then nothing. Right? Once I saw who they got for that role, that's who I imagined. You know, it was it was Vince Curatola. Sure. let me tell you, did a, f- a phenomenal job with that that character. Amazing. I mean, he really he, he was I mean like his mannerisms, his mm-hmm. all of this all the stuff that he brought to that character yeah. were brilliant. I said, They got this is the guy. This is and I, and once I saw that their casting, how they're the casting was just spot on, and then I started seeing the episodes i called up my I called up Bob because he was he kept sending me like uh like like day player type things <laughs> and I said, Bob, I said this show is too important for under fives or, or day player stuff. I don't want anything like that. I have to get something that is um
0: for those that don't know what's a day player.
1: Okay. A date player is where they call you in and you do like a small scene and you're in, a, you're in and out for the day. And that's it. Got it. So it doesn't, it's, it's not, there's no follow up or there's no character arc. And I told my, my agent, I said, I said, Bob, I'm looking for, this is too important of a show. And I said, the writing is unbelievable. I said, I, I'm looking for something like two, three episodes, you know, like with a small character arc. You know? And so what I did was, um, so
0: you wanted to find a way on that show basically after the, uh, the Johnny sack uh, reading experience.
1: Absolutely. okay. It was no question, but it was not only after the reading experience. It was, it was after watching the first episode and then several other episodes because when they started casting for the second season, which was several months later, and I believe me, I was, I was bugging my age at, like every week on trying to see if there was something right that I was right for. Finally, he sends me something. He said, you know, he, he left me a message saying, listen, there's, there's something in the breakdowns that I think you're right for. And so he faxes me a breakdown. I'm like, it was slated as Furio, soprano's, Tony Soprano's cousin from Italy. So originally, Furio was supposed to be Tony Soprano's cousin,
2: mm.
1: not Annalisa's cousin. Got it. So I said, "Whoa, this is interesting." And you know, and some of the requirements were you have to you have to speak fluent Italian, and with and also when you speak English with a convincing Italian accent. That was that was like very specific in the breakdowns. And I said, "Shit! I mean, look, you know, this is what I do. (laughs) I speak fluent Italian, and I'm from Naples. I was born in Naples, and that's where the Soprano family was was originally from." They were from Avellino, which was right near Naples, and they spoke with a similar kind of accent. So I auditioned for for the casting director, and it was average, actually, it was for, you know, uh, Walkin' Jaffe casting, and, and this time it was Mary Clay Bolin, who was the person that was kind of reading with me and taping me that day. And I remember she, she, she shut the camera off, and she goes, Federico? thank you. That was like a breath of fresh air. <laughs>
0: and so wow. I, like,
1: I've never heard that before in any of my, my auditions. This is like, wow, this is pretty cool. I, you know, I walked out of there really feeling good. Did you have so, your
0: accent? Did you have the Furio accent locked down in that audition? Or did you have to develop it more over time?
1: Well, no, I had it. No, I had it locked down because, uh, had a, a couple of years before that. I really worked on an accent. I worked on the Italian accent, uh, and plus, I had I've had it around me my whole life. Yeah, you know, sure. With sure. my parents, uncles, cousins—you know what I mean—people that I grew up with on Twenty First Avenue. So, uh, a so you could years turn it on. You were able, that,
0: you were able to just turn it on on day one.
1: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like turning it on. I had to work on it. I okay. mean, I really because when you speak when you speak with an accent, and I, I have an ear like there's there's a lot of music you know in my family. You know, my father, you know, was a musician. My brother was, you know. He, my, my father painted, and he, he played music and stuff. So, and and my brother was a musician for many years. I, you know, I played the blues harp a little bit. So, you know, we have an ear. Once you have an ear for for music, you have an ear for for accents and for dialects and things. Hmm. So, when I spoke Italian, when I spoke English with the with the Neapolitan accent, it was different than speaking it. You know, uh, with with a say a Sicilian accent. And years before that, I did a regional production of uh, A View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller. And my character came from Italy, but he came from Sicily. But I worked on on the Italian accent around that time. Now I knew that these guys were coming from Naples, so I had to go back into my, you know, to, to start listening to my father the way he spoke with, uh, with the Italian accent when he said a, a few words in Italian, you know, because he spoke... I mean, I mean, a few words in English because he didn't speak English too much, even though he had been here for many, many years. Right. And and then uh, my uncle Ugo from Canada had these wonderful words. I, I would pick and choose like certain words, and and then I went back into my old neighborhood and just listened to the Italian guys when they spoke and how they said certain words. For some, for example, some people instead of you know when you say money, some people would say money or money. Yeah, you hear there's this difference there, but it's still an accent. But it depends on the region where you come from. Sure. So I, was, I wanted to be. This was this. I knew how important this show was, and I wanted to be extremely specific with the way I spoke, even in the accent that i used.
0: Yeah, and you, and you were. I mean, honestly, uh, as recently I've gone through the series many times, but some of the co-hosts that i have on the show weren't even aware that you were American. Like you it's so convincing <laughs> that you that that Thank you. you, you, you. Yeah. But, so that's like a testament to exactly what you did on the show.
1: Well, thank you. You know, when i would when certain actors, i would meet certain people like uh i remember meeting Michael J. Fox. Uh it was it was in uh it was in Beverly Hills. It was at, a, I think it was during the Emmys or the SAG Awards. Yeah. And I, I had just come out of the elevator and he was walking towards the elevator and, and he looked at me and he, you know, says, Hey, how are you? And I said, Oh man, Michael J. Fox. How are you, man? It's good to meet you. And he looked at me like stunned. He goes, you're not even Italian. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I am Italian, man. It's just the accent. just an I accent. You.
0: <laughs> a, tr- a true actor. Yeah. who got into character. Was, um,
1: well, that, that's what, that's like the, the biggest compliment you can get that where people say, oh my God, man, I thought you were really from there. And then I have women that would come up to me and like, then I would start talking to them and they're like, oh man, you don't, you're not, you not you do not have the accent. <laughs> what happens to your accent? They would yeah. get disappointed.
0: The accent definitely is a plus factor for that department as well. I'm sure. Um, uh, when you, yeah, it, art, yeah. yeah. Uh, how did you? How did you feel about, especially now that I know you're a visual artist? How did you feel about Furio's legendary shirts?
1: Well, Federico would never wear them, <laughs> but I thought they were perfect for the character. When you, uh, you know, being that
0: when you went in for your auditions, did you go in with a certain kind of shirt? Like, was it part of? Was no. that part of the character early on, or did that happen? Kind of evolve over time.
1: No, I. No, obviously, this character was. I, I auditioned for with believe it or not with the uh with the brothel, brothel scene oh okay I, I, yeah yeah that was yeah, leather jacket was very, so yeah i i i envisioned him in a in dark clothes so i just wore like a black shirt you know jeans and you know whatever whatever boots or whatever i had at the time you know that that looked right for the guy that i felt looked right, right for the character. and i had long hair and i remember i remember my hair was so long at the time it was like down the middle of my back, straight, long hair. <laughs> and so I, I let, the night before that audition, I cut it myself. I just threw it down over, you know, just bent my head over and I just cut it with a scissor so it would be shorter, you know? So, you know, and I even told them when I auditioned, I said, you know, you if you, you want to change my hair, you can. I mean, but they liked the ponytail. They liked the fact that it was like this Euro, you know, Euro mob guy, you know what I mean? That, that would that could wear a ponytail they were it was it set Furio was set apart from the rest of the guys sure absolutely
0: it's interesting that you cut it and it was still long in the show I wonder what they would have said exactly I, I wonder <laughs> if they would have kept like the full mane if you had gone in with it that would have been uh, maybe a story for another lifetime or something to see how that turned out
1: yes um, yeah I never thought about that but I you know you have to make choices Vic, uh, as the character sure uh, you you feel you feel like okay this would be too long for a mob guy blah 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 so just cut it, see, and just just tell them you have the option of of cutting it any way you want. Of them doing
0: whatever, yeah. So yeah, you, yeah. you you appeared in twenty eight episodes, beginning in season two and continuing through most of season four. Uh, looking back today, share one or two memories from that time in your life.
1: Let me let me tell you what happens. Uh, I was uh, we were shooting. This is very interesting because when you get when when you're hired to do the job, right? You're there and you're doing your work and you're not thinking about all this other stuff that, that, that happens around you. You know, when I came on, it was already, the Sopranos was already at the height, the beginning of the height of its popularity. Okay. The, The first season exploded. So now I'm working on the second season. And I remember there was one time we were, we were walking from the trailer. It was me and, and and Jim Gandolfini. We were walking from the trailer to the set, which was uh, the the Scatino uh, uh, sports out. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the sports place, and they. So we're walking towards it. <laughs> some, some guy comes out of his car, runs out, and he was and it was he was obviously Italian, and he had this this accent. He was like Tony Soprano. Oh my God, Tony Soprano. And I started fucking laughing, man. I was like cracking up like and, and he looks at me, <laughs> Jim looks at me and goes, Wait till your fucking shit comes out <laughs> So in other words, like this is gonna happen to you as yeah, well. And yeah. that that hadn't dawned on me. All I was in all I was caring about was doing doing the work. But the way that guy the way that fan reacted, it was just unbelievable. I was like, Man, this guy and he he's calling him Pony Soprano <laughs> You know what I mean? Like Right, right he was just so happy to see this guy
0: <laughs> which depending on which depending on how you feel about that as a working actor is either a good thing or a bad thing obviously the character yeah. you're, you're forever tied to it but you're also an individual outside of that character and it's one of the hardest things to sort of uh reconcile you know
1: that's that's true but we you know once once and he was right once people started seeing my work on the show it was immediate it was almost like bam i remember like the day the the morning after, I had to go into New York City with my cousin. We had, we had something to do, and my cousin was in the car with me. I said, "Hey, Marco, I got to grab some. I have to get some gas for the car." The morning after that first episode came out on me, uh, he says, "Hey, Federico," uh, my cousin says, "He's like that guy. Do you know that guy over there? He's in, he's in the other car across. He's he's staring at you." I said, "Um." Oh, I look back at him and the guy keeps staring at me. I said, "No, I don't know that guy." No, it doesn't look familiar. So then we go to we're in the city and we stopped at a red light and some guys beeping and he, and he's like giving me the, the thumbs up. I'm like what the fuck is going on here? I was like <laughs> you know and and then another guy we're stopped at another red light. He turns he says, "Hey man, holy shit. Hey, I love your work." Like <laughs> Oh my God, this is amazing. I mean, it's just, it just literally came out yesterday and people are starting to recognize you. It was, it was just an amazing feeling and it was, it showed you the, the power of this show. As sure.
0: Well. Absolutely. Especially in an era when there was no social media and it was on HBO. It wasn't widely
1: available. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep.
0: It's crazy stuff. Um, Furio's arc feels like this. Uh, Tony's go-to guy to one day becoming his potential antagonist. In the end, Furio came off restrained and professional. Your thoughts on Furio's final moments, what became of him and how that time was for you personally.
1: Oh God. Was, uh, you know, when I, <laughs> I, th- I think it was, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the beginning of the fourth season, like right before we started the fourth season. Okay. I, you know, HBO would always have these like wonderful parties, you know, like to kick off the new season. And you know, uh, there was this one party that, you know, all the the producers and the directors and everybody was. And a lot of the actors were there. And I remember I was standing, I was talking to someone, and then Edie Falco walks in with a couple with uh, I think it was Eileen Landris, one of our producers, and she's waving at me, and, I'm, and I and I see her and I wave, and she goes, Federico, you know. She's trying to get my attention and I look over and she goes, Next season, fourth season, me and you. She starts pointing to me and her. And I said, Wow, that's great. And you know, it was my initial reaction to say that's great. And then a second later I thought about it. I'm like, Me and you. Oh, this is not good, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is not good. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Uh I was like, Man, what what are they thinking about over here? So it was like my, my thought was, you know, knowing that world, you know, if I'm, and plus, you know, the great part of it was that I, you know, that I, I thought that Edie Falco was just one of the greatest actors out there. I mean, she was, she was just incredible and to get an opportunity to, to work with her. That was the, that was the exciting part. Yeah. But once, when we first, when I read the first script and it was the first script of the, of the fourth season. And it says uh Furio rings the doorbell <laughs> and Edie, uh, well uh Carmella primps her hair in the reflection of the of the of the uh what do you call it? Uh of the microwave or whatever it was. Yeah. And I said, Oh shit, this is where it's going. So I I spoke to Terry Winter. I said I went up to Terry, I said, Terry, <sighs> I said, Does Furio get this? And I show him <laughs> show him the, the gun symbol.
0: Is he getting whacked?
1: And he goes uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. he get this? And this was on the set and I didn't wanna kind of like speak loud, you know. And he goes, Oh no, 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 it's, it's never gonna go there, you know, no. it's it's not gonna go there. Even says you'll you'll have a good season and you know and I, I realized what was happening. It was gonna be Furio's last season. And then, you know, every time there was some there was someone that that was gonna get whacked or someone was gonna be written off the show for whatever reason, we would always get a call from from David Chase, and David did call. I I think it was during the middle of the season he called, but I already knew what was going to happen.
0: Well, you didn't know you didn't know officially, but you sensed it.
1: I yes, okay, yeah. yeah exactly. So he
0: calls you, but, and what happens?
1: Well, he calls me, and uh, he says, "You know, we, we Furio has to go. Basically, he's uh, you know, there's no other way to do this. We don't want to kill the character, and I I feel that." There's a lot of important characters that that came and went in that in that in that show and I feel that like, uh, Furio was an important character and definitely uh the fact yeah the fact that they they gave me that storyline was was I think pretty pretty amazing I mean uh, you know and it's so interesting it was, I, was, I was
0: they didn't he he didn't want to kill you he didn't want to kill the character no, that's fascinating
1: no he didn't want to kill him you know, and I, I thought that the, you know he said in in that conversation he says you never know. I said because uh, I said this you know does he come back at some point or you know he goes he goes you never know he goes there's a there's a possibility but you know for the moment no and I said okay all right so I you know you you realize it's a it's a very disappointing thing to, to not be on the show anymore because you know, it was like a family with us. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, it's like now you're being, you're being ripped apart from this, this wonderful, uh, this, this, this whole, this, this family like atmosphere and, and this, this wonderful situation, this, this great show.
0: But you have to keep working. It's
1: always, it's, yeah, absolutely. You got to keep working. He
0: told you midway through and, but you still had a season to finish. How did that go for you personally?
1: You know what? I, I, Dedicated myself to the to the show and to the character, mm-hmm. uh, and I I knew that David was a. I mean, David Chase is a brilliant writer. Yet, and he had like he had the world on his shoulders. I mean, he had the, the worries of the world on his shoulders because you know you have to come up with all this great material. You have to you know you have to get the right writers to come on board and 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 have great write great episodes and you know come up with great characters and. I'm going to tell you something that I think I, I, I want Furio wound up getting the short straw and I'll tell you why I here here's what happened. This is my theory. And no one, no one actually told me this, but we were at, uh, il Cortile because it, we were, we were, every time somebody got whacked, we would go to Il Cortile and take them out to dinner. Whatever actor that was. Furio never got that because he didn't get whacked. Right. But there were, we were there for someone and I forget which, which actor it was, but, uh, we were all having a great time, and one of the producers, I guess I could say it, it was Eileen Landris. Eileen Landris kind of blurted out that it was going to be Johnny Sacks last season, the fourth season. Now, this is this is like during the summer and during the hiatus of the after the third season. And, you know, she goes, oops, you know, she was, you know, it was a little, we're all drinking, we're all having a good time. And and I said, Oh my god, man, I felt so bad for 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 Vince Kiratowa. He was he was gonna be out, you know, in season four and so apparently they brought in Vince, I think it was uh, Frank Vincent. For yeah.
2: Phil Leotardo. The
1: whole New York Phil yeah, yeah, Phil Leotardo's character for the for the uh, forts, was it for the fifth season or fourth season? Fifth uh, season, right? Yep. So they realized that they needed the New York boss, Johnny Sack. In order for for that storyline to work, and so, you know, I, I think it's always a matter of money, finances, when it comes down to you know, okay, somebody's got to go here, you know.
0: And Interesting.
1: So that's, that's yeah. So I feel that that's how that that came down.
0: So it's like a one in. It's like a one in one out kind of thing in terms of cast. I think
1: so. I, I really think I think it has a lot to do with uh, with budgetary reasons. Interesting and. And, you know, and, you know, it's a mob show and, and, you know, David Chase will be the first to tell you it's a mob show. Yeah. You never know if you're going to be in or, in or out, you know, of course. and everybody we we'd all be always kind of looking in the next script. If we, that's when we, when we used to get full scripts, you know, yeah, when yeah. I was there and then, then they started just giving um, sides out to the people except for the main cast and then when we go to the to table read, we would do a table read. They would give you the full script, and then you'd give it back. You know, because there were a lot of leaks back then. A sure. lot of people like leaking stuff, and I don't know why they did that. It was, you know, it was it was a horrible thing that that this one guy that I remember, uh, uh, somebody that that found a script in a in a in a dumpster, and then somehow leaked it out to. Um, but they had, you know, what they had everybody's numbers on those on those scripts. Like and, what do you, you mean? Know, they, they like could, the pho- like phone but, numbers? Well, they, no, you would you would be assigned a number, and it was on every page of those scripts. Oh, I've
0: heard this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So whoever, whoever script that was, I mean them. I'm sure they got, they got a reaming, if not a firing, you
0: know? Yeah. No, it's crazy. I and mean, it's it's totally understandable why they would be so protective and have all these protective measures. Um, we've talked about this in the past, too. You can imagine what it would be like in this current era that we're in right now uh, with social mm-hmm. media leaks. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently one of the Game of Thrones, mm. one of the Game of Thrones actors just apparently told one or two of her inner circle about the f- series finale, and she's getting a lot of blowback from that. Um, oh, my God. In uh, The Sopranos, you can only imagine, would have been 10 hours. That.
1: See, but Vic, real, realize this: how how hard is it to make some great great television and and write an awesome episode, and then all of a sudden? You gotta change it because some fucking asshole. Yeah. leaked it to you. Know what I'm saying?
0: It's so hard to make good stuff. So hard, period. I mean, got, yeah. yeah, and we're exactly. still we're, we're talking then, about the show twenty years later, and there hasn't really been that many great shows like The Sopranos. So you can understand when you when you put your whole lifeblood into this thing, if someone can ruin it or make you have to take a plan B or a plan C, you're going to be extremely paranoid about it.
1: Exactly, and you know, you you just said something that kind of sparked something, in, in, in a memory for me, uh, up until the Sopranos, I had no desire whatsoever to look at television, to to watch anything on TV. It was all crap. It was all bullshit with laugh tracks and this and that. It was, there was nothing worthwhile watching until the writing. I, 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 I saw that first episode and I'm saying, Oh my God, this is a work of art. man. yeah, this is, this is, this is a fucking brilliant work of art. And every brilliant work of art, no matter whether it's a song or a painting or a sculpture or film, is always going to be great. That's why we're still talking about it 20 years later.
0: Yeah, it's timeless and it's clearly aged very well. For sure. Like, Unbelievable. As, as with any song, yeah. as, with a, as with a great painting, just like you said, so nicely. Um, here's a thought for you, just to ponder. Had Furio steered sure. clear of Carmela, how valuable would he have been in the New York disputes in the later seasons? You know, with Phil Leotardo, like you mentioned. Oh. It would have been a very interesting oh, yeah. parallel you know, storyline if, if Furio had stayed on the show.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Furio, if, if you really look back at the reason why Furio came to to the states is because Gandalf well, uh, uh, Tony Soprano saw him jump on a on a guy in a wheelchair who was an old boss with one foot in the grave, yeah, and jumped on his body in order to protect it, right? And back and back at home, there were so many turncoats and rats around him mm-hmm. that he said, "This is the kind of loyalty that I need with me back yeah. home." So I believe that. That Furio would have been so loyal that he would have jumped in front of him, and and would have been killed to protect that boss, to protect Tony Soprano, because that was his mentality. But something changed in him when when this spark came out with with Carmela.
2: Sure, and he started
1: seeing he started he started seeing something different in in Tony Soprano. And you know, I always <laughs> I always had my. Uh, my idea after after sort of this is my storyline of after you know after furio left back to uh to naples so you you know that they 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 had this this thing going on with the cars right they were they were selling the cars yeah for a certain amount you know so at at a certain point tony soprano says what the, what the fuck is going on with these cars i mean what you know what's going on they're not sending them anymore we're not receiving and they they said well I don't know, we've got to go check it out. Let let's they, so they fly to Italy and they wanna meet with Annalisa because Mauro Zucca, her husband, right? Right. Was in, was still in jail for life. So now they find out that she's in jail. <laughs> and they well they say, Well who do we have to deal with? And they have to deal with Furio. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the acting he's the acting boss, street boss.
0: You know, uh, a, a sequel, that, again, because we don't, we don't know the outcome of Furio, a sequel, you know, Furio 20 years later is very much a possibility. Yeah. You know, it's and it's one of the few characters that could actually probably carry uh, at least a limited series.
1: Well, you never know. It could, yeah, that, you that never could know. Happen. But one of the things that I, I always thought is I always thought that Furio should have been killed from Tony Soprano. And yeah. because of this betrayal, this strong, you know, you don't know what these guys are like, this sociopath, that, right. you know, the minimal fucking, you know, you look at someone's wife the wrong way, you're fucking dead. Exactly. And that was, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was what I thought should have happened, you know, even though I would have hated that to happen. But so when he goes to Italy, he's got to deal with the guy that he hates the most. Yeah. And I mean, he, he deals and he gets the fucking deal done and he's on his way back to the airport. <laughs> And everybody says, okay, this this turned out great. He's gone. You know, he's going back. He turns around. He still has time to get on the plane. Turns around, kills Furio, gets on the plane, and leaves. Oh, man. So that would have been a... You know, that would have been a fucking powerful ending, right? Sure,
0: sure. Absolutely. It would have been a very dramatic... It, well, the only thing we get as, as viewers is that there's some people out in Italy looking around for Furio, and that's the last we ever hear about it. Um, but what you described, yep. or variations of what you described, would have obviously been amazing. Cinematic and yes. all that stuff. But like you yeah, said, you never and, know. You know.
1: And the reason why those guys couldn't touch him is because he, he was the, the acting boss. Because Lisa ah, now was in jail, you know. Nice
0: little, so, nice little plot caveat there.
1: See that? Yeah. <laughs> anyway,
0: um, what was your life like post Sopranos? Career-wise, opportunity-wise, personally?
1: Oh, it was. It was. Um, you know, I I was I was happy doing theater. I was I was doing a lot of uh, you know regional theater. Um, I was with a couple of independent uh, theater companies uh, in New York City. I did some Shakespeare festivals. I really, I really thought, you know, theater. And I, you know, when I when I get someone that is starting off, you know, a young actor that wants to know what to do or wh- how to go about it, and I always say, look, you know, get into theater. Just 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 understand what it is to to create a character and to to uh, develop a character over the time that you rehearse, which could be f- anywhere from four to six weeks, and you'll realize that you'll have that in your muscle memory. As an actor, and, and when you're doing television and film later on, you can take what you've learned in that, in that, in that time period when you're rehearsing and, and studying and doing and shorten that in order to find things that you can relate to and, and bring to that character in a shorter amount of time. It's always a great foundation for an actor uh, to do theater, and it's also an immediate response. So you're going to know whether you suck or you don't. When you're on stage sure, and you have to find those moments. And even while you're, while you're after you've, you've rehearsed and you've, you've made choices and everything while you're actually doing it on stage with an audience, you'll find moments that you didn't know were there before. And you're like, Oh my God, that's what that was about. And you're like, Holy. And that's happened to me many times. And that, you know, because it's, it's live. It's always different. There's always moments. There's someone that maybe you know, you have an actor that might, Say a different line, and then you got to go with it in the moment. You know, it's like you're walking on a tightrope when you're doing theater. And and I, I never, you know, when I was studying acting, I never called myself an actor. I was always saying, you know, to the people, in, and no one knew that I was a painter. I was I was actually, you know, supporting my acting career with my paintings and and, and illustrations. Mm. And uh, and vice versa. And I never knew, you know, people didn't know about you know, uh, my acting as well, you know, in, in the art, in the art world. So I and, I, and I was very specific about that only because, you know, when you tell people you do all these things, <laughs> they're like, Oh yeah, this guy's probably half-assed at all this stuff, you know? So I just kept it very simple. I just said, you know, this is what I do. You know, um, I'm studying acting when I got my first paycheck as an actor, that's when I said, okay, now I feel personally, I can call myself an actor
0: interesting and thanks for going there a lot of young people listen to this podcast because there's a lot of first-time viewers of the show so and one of the Mm -hmm. one of of the number one fan questions we get is like any advice for aspiring actors so thank you Mm -hmm. um a couple more questions and then i'll let you get out of here thank you so much again for doing this um no no any time man you were a judge on the apprentice how did that come about
1: okay uh this is this is a really interesting story. I'm glad. I'm just, this is wild, man. Nobody's ever asked me this. <laughs> um, very dear, an old friend of mine. His name is Chuck Labella. Chuck was working for NBC. He was a segment producer for uh, for The Apprentice, regular Apprentice. And so I, I happened to be visiting him in LA at the time he was in his office and he was on a conference call. I came in and he, you know, he gave me the the quiet sign, you know, with his finger, but to his, to his lips, like that. And it was, uh, Mark Burnett and, and Donald Trump was on, they were on the line. They, they were talking, you know, he was, and so they were talking about, uh, actually Vinnie pastor being on the show, this, this new show called the celebrity apprentice. And so Chuck looks at me (laughs) and he goes, he mimics, he goes, goes, you want to be on this? You want to, you want to, I can get you on. I said, no, absolutely not. So I don't want to have anything to do with reality television. (laughs) And so he knew how I felt about reality television. It just was, to me, it was all bullshit. You know, I was just trying to get people uh, notoriety and all that. I know it's important, you know, to get yourself out there and stuff like that. But just, that just rubbed me along. It just, it goes against my grain, that kind of stuff. Anyway, so a couple of years down the road, that, that show becomes very, very popular. And Chuck LaBelle calls me and says, uh, got this thing on the, you know, the apprentice, the celebrity apprentice. And before he even finishes, I said, no, Chuck, I said, you know, I don't want to fucking do this. Come on, man. I I don't, it's not my, he goes, no, no, no. But just hear me out. He goes, he would just come on as a guest and (laughs) as a, an art expert, you know, kind of judging this art contest. And I said, I thought about it and I'm like, all right, well, you know what? If it's in and out like that, that's fine, I'll do that. You know, and plus, you know, Chuck's such a dear friend. He he was looking out for me and wanted wanted for me to be seen and, Some exposure. and that kind of thing would be okay. Some exposure, exactly. So I did it. And I I, I remember uh, you know, judging the contest and Latoya Jackson, her whatever I mean, she she put the, she did this art piece which which had Uh, I think it was like a a glove with sparkles, and you know, it was a sculptural kind of really, really cool visual piece. Very professional. I was like, man, this 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 girl, she's not a sculptor. She could actually go into it and and you know, make money doing this. And uh, by far, she was the winner of that that thing, and that's that's why I picked. Cool. I just came on as as an art expert to come and judge this contest, and you know, the women
0: one that day <laughs> yeah no the reason i know about it is because when we uh when i prepare for the show for the podcast i was reading about you mm-hmm. and i saw that apprentice was mentioned so i was like you know if i ever talk to federico i'm going to ask him that story because it's a relevant story because of our president and all that stuff so true, thank true. you thank yeah. you for talking about it oh no problem what's on your plate these days what are you working on what's any projects coming up yeah, anything you'd like I to think, share with yeah, that with been, listeners
1: sure 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 i um I've been doing a lot of independent films, which I love. I love Indies because, you know, they're just so, um, you, can, you can really express yourself, in uh, directing as well, you know, you can just express yourself in the way that studio films you can't do. So, I've been going, I've been doing a lot of independent films. I shot a film uh, a couple of years ago in uh, Sicily, which was absolutely amazing. I had never been to Sicily. I've been to Italy a million times, obviously. I was born there, and then go back all the time. But, Sicily was just an incredible place. Beautiful film called um, Leaves of the Tree. And then uh, right after that, I did a film called Toy Gun, which is out right now on uh, Amazon, Amazon Prime and other other places where you can you can order it. And that was that was a really, really cool film. Uh, And let's see, I directed uh, a film called "The Brooklyn Banker, which is also on Amazon Prime. Also, awesome. you, uh, you mentioned that you mentioned that to me at the beginning. David, yes, yeah. David Proval is in it. He plays Manny the Hand. Oh my God, he is just amazing in this. And Paul Sorvino is in it, and uh, Troy Garrity, who plays the, the, the banker. And it takes place in 1973 in William Williamsburg, Brooklyn, during the time of this uh, feast called the Gilio Feast. And uh, it's it's really it's a really cool film. It's written by Michael Ricigliano and uh, I shot a short film prior to that, uh, a few years, maybe a couple of years prior to that, called Lily of the Feast. And I produced it, acted in the in the lead role, and uh, and directed it as well. And that won a ton of awards in in the festival circuit. And that's how we were able to get the financing in order to shoot the uh, the feature film. Ah, and what, what what's coming up? is uh is a film called Bessa and it's that's also based on a uh a novel and so that that's that's uh they so far they moved the date and we're just waiting for the uh the, the uh, shoot date for the beginning of the sh- of this uh, this next film
0: And are you acting in that or are you producing that or directing it
1: No that one no that one I'm acting in it.
0: Okay okay Yeah Um besides work what do you enjoy
1: Um whew. What are you well, passionate about? Well, obviously, I'm very, very passionate about collecting. I'm mean, a, I'm, I'm a collector of 17th century Italian Baroque paintings, okay. and uh, I've discovered a bunch of things as well over the years, and that's how I've been able to collect. And if that comes from my, my, art history background. You know, uh, studying that period, studying the Renaissance and the, uh, the Baroque period, which is, is, uh, you know, you know the, uh, the beginning of the 1600s uh, into you know, the beginning of the
0: 1700s. Caravaggio.
1: Um, Seventeenth century, exactly. Caravaggio, yeah, yeah. Caravaggio was actually, uh, you know, late Mannerism and then going into Baroque. But they, they, he, he is, he is Caravaggio basically changed the face of the Baroque because he was he was um, his dates were 15, 1571 to uh, sixteen
2: ten, hmm.
1: and and he, when he came to Rome, no one had seen this kind of work before. It was almost like it was theatrical in the sense that it was. It was almost like a frozen moment in time on stage. Sure, the way he, the way he approached his his paintings, and sometimes they were so realistic that the churches and, and cathedrals they they couldn't accept the paintings, right? Because some of the saints and everything would have dirty feet and dirty fingernails, and but he, that's how he saw them. He said these saints, they were walking the earth before they actually became saints. <laughs> but he was admired by all. Of the people around him, no matter how, I mean, the the, the French Caravagisti, the Dutch Caravagisti, they, these were all followers long after he had died. Yeah, like into the 17th century. But yeah, and I you know I've been collecting. I'm a very passionate collector uh, of of this period of art. Um, and as I said, I've discovered quite a few different paintings and one very important painter by the name of uh, Giovanni Francesco Barbieri called Il Guercino, the squinter. He comes from Bologna, and um, his dates were 1591 to 1666. Mm. And he made an impact in Bologna, uh, and also he's collected in every major museum in the world. And I made this discovery in 2010, and uh, if you look at it, if you look it up online, you'll see that it, you know, it's, the value of it is, is astronomical. <laughs>
0: I saw that on Wikipedia. That's the painting that you're referring to, right? The one that you that was mislabeled or mispriced or something.
1: Yeah, it was it was not labeled co- correctly. It was uh, <laughs> they didn't even know who the painter was. They said it was an Italian. Uh, they said uh, it was a, a holy Sebastian. It was, a, it was the, the painting. The subject was Saint Sebastian, you know, tied to a tree. So it was in Germany, a small auction house in Germany. They had no idea what it was, and uh, I identified it. Immediately, as a, it was a painter that I studied intensely uh, over the years, even in school when I was uh, when I was studying uh, at the School of Visual Arts. And um, so
0: you got a little art arbitrage.
1: Pretty much, yeah. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> you know, good for you. Yep. My favorite class in high school was AP Art History. It's the only class I ever really learned anything in, and that's how I know about Caravaggio, and that's how I know that's why I respect art so much because it's there's, a lot, there's a lot there.
1: He pretty much uh, changed the 17th century painting as, as they knew it, as, as we know it now. You know, he, he influenced so many people, so many artists. Well, and, uh, you know, also what I, what I was going to say is also, you know, I still paint. So that is something that is very, I'm very passionate about and still show my work and, uh, and sell my work.
0: Is there a place online where your work can be seen? Is there, do you have a website or anything like yeah, that?
1: Yeah, yeah. People can go to firstdibs.com and, okay. you know, they punch my name in, First Dibs. And okay. uh, then there's a gallery called the Chetkin Gallery in Red Bank, New Jersey, that, uh, that shows my work and sells my work, so.
0: Listen, Furio was an amazing and indelible character on the greatest show of all time, and it was a pleasure to talk with you today. Federico, thank you so much.
1: A pleasure to talk to you, Vic. Really great. Thanks. BAAAAAAA <laughs>